Welcome to another episode of the Just Checking In podcast. I'm your host, Freddie Cocker, and this podcast is brought to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with a special guest. We have a natter and a chat about all things mental health, as well as anything and everything else they are passionate about. If it helps that person with their mental health, we discuss it. In today's episode, I'm checking in with James Roffey. James is a personal trainer and styles himself as the mental health personal trainer. However, it hasn't always been the most glamorous personal trainer life for James. When James was in his 20s, he developed an eating disorder, which was triggered by three key life events. The first was being released by Charlton Athletic FC's Academy. The second was failing a business studies exam when he was doing his AS levels and was then subsequently kicked out of his then grammar school. And the third was a sudden death of his grandmother when he was 18 years old. These three events caused James to develop his eating disorder, which started by presenting as anorexia and then morphed into bulimia, which he had for the following eight years. After a lot of soul searching, hospital admittances and self-development, James managed to recover and get to the position he is in now. In part one of his podcast, we discuss his fitness journey, from starting it because of a relationship breakup to making it his passion and now his career, breaking his leg three times over the course of two years from 2019 to 2021 and the three key pillars he tries to instill in his clients, mindset, nutrition and training. In part two, we explore the origins of his eating disorder, the disruptive behaviours and habits it made him adopt and the eight years he was trapped in its grip. We also talk about why sports psychologist was a massive influence on his recovery, why traditional therapy didn't help him and how he successfully moved away from his identity being attached to his eating disorder. So this is how part one of my check-in with James Roffey went. James, welcome to the Just Check-In pod, mate. Thank you so much for driving all the way to my flat in North East London to record this. I'm very appreciative of that, pal, and thank you for letting me check in with you. When we chatted off air, you had so much to talk about. And you are definitely an example of not judging a book by its cover. <laughs> yeah. So how are you, mate? How are you, first of all? Yeah, no, I'm really good. Really good. Yeah, so be here. So it's a pleasure to be here. So it's, uh, I was coming down anyway, so I was making sure I've uh, optimised my The time. diary's aligned. Yes, yeah. exactly that. Exactly that. So it's like, a bit of pleasure, now we've got business. So. Excellent. Well, yeah. hopefully a bit of both. Well, hopefully a bit yeah, of both. Exactly. It's, a bit, it's a mix. It's a mix. Your journey is such a roller coaster, mate, and you put in so much hard work to get to where you are. So that's a testament to who you are and, and what you've achieved. So without further delay, are you ready to start the show? I am ready, yeah. Yeah, let's go. Let's start your pod by talking about your journey into fitness and personal training, James. So take me back to the beginning first. What inspired you to get into fitness, start exercising, self-development, and the journey to where you are now? Wow, that's a long, it's a long road. I know, it's a broad uh, one. Yeah, I'll, get, very, I'll give you lots yeah. of avenues. Yeah, so like in terms of fitness, in terms of like the gym, that's something that came a lot later on in my life. Obviously, my background initially was football, like from the age of started playing football at the age of four. Like I wanted to emulate my dad. My dad was a goalkeeper and played like semi-pro and obviously when I started to watch him he was playing vets football because I never played football before you watched it on telly so to go and see your dad play and he's pulling off like a special in it yeah, yeah like worldy saves and like he's got all the attention and limelights on him and like my dad was a, like a really good goalkeeper obviously I only saw him towards the end of his career but mm-hmm. even 
even still, it was just that, like watching him and that proud, that was like, that's my dad. Mm. Like, that's cool. Like, and I, I want to do that. Mm. And he started to train me and obviously he wanted me to kind of, I wanted to go down that path and he was more than happy to help me pursue that. So it wasn't so, a pushy daddy. It wasn't like Frank Lampard senior when he's uh, training Frank Lampard junior down I, Brentwood and I think he, I, <laughs> shuttle runs. He, he was, but he did push me, but I think that was more to like, probably like a few years on when he realized that I actually had something. Sure. So yeah. So I obviously started playing for my local town. So it was like Beersted, Beersted football club at, at the age of four. And so like just four year old and just like in it, like league. And then in the summer there'd be multiple like five side tournaments. And I, Went to one of them and I ended up getting scouted by Kent. So I went from playing from my town to my county. And and then at seven, I got scouted by Charlton Athletic. And they signed me. And that was pretty much the next 10 years of my life was taken up by playing for Charlton. So bearing in mind, I lived in Ashford at the time. So it was like, oh, sorry, I lived in Maidstone. I went to school in Ashford. That's a lie. And then I was traveling to to Charlton's like training. Bit of a journey in that. Yeah, and yeah. it was. It was like, it was four times a week. Really? Yeah. Okay. So it's like in terms of my mum would take me during the week. Obviously, we had a, like an arrangement with school that I could on certain days I could leave school like an hour early to get there, and so the school were really supportive for that. And then on weekends it was like my dad was free from work and would would come and. Did you play in the school team as well? Yeah. 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 So like, obviously, school was like. That's probably why they let you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Probably. Yeah. It was like like yeah, like I was very I was very sporty. I was less academic at school, but I was very very much sporty, and because of that, it kind of was popular because of it as well so it was like running club rugby whatever sport it was I was I was always involved in it yeah and it was kind of like drummed into me from probably from the age of maybe 10 onwards that I was any sort of selection process I was picked and oh, we're not sure like whoever gets picked now is, is like is on the road and it's like I got picked and I got picked and I got picked and I got picked and it was mapped out mapped out for me to be this professional footballer mm. um, how many times have we heard that story as well yeah like exactly. with all these kids getting told 100 yeah. i'm not saying that you know your ability wasn't wasn't questioned but i mean how many times are those kids being yeah. told they're gonna do this yeah. they're gonna do and this and... like at that sort of age like you haven't matured enough to have like an ego in terms of that and obviously like you have some form of maybe like cockiness there's always mm -hmm. cocky, like cocky kids but it's like when you're constantly it's constantly being reinforced by Coaches, you don't know any different. Peers. Yeah, exactly. It's like, well, if they're telling me, it must be true. You're not at that age to, to question it. Mm. Or, so you just you just go along with it. And I ended up getting the chance to train at Bisham Abbey, which was like England's training centre at the time. And that was just like a bloody hell. This is this is crazy. I mean, it was like the first time I ever got paid for going mm -hmm. as well. And it was just like a, another like reinforcement that I was going to make it. And then... At uh, 16, 17, it was the time to sign your professional contract. I still remember it now. Like we, it literally, all the squad, all the lads were sitting in the in like the canteen area. You get call, you, called you, in, sort yeah. one by one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was obviously like the like the ones that were being called in first were all being signed. And you're thinking like, oh, so if I if right, I, that's how they did it. Yeah, they sort they, of do they, sporadically they, to try and yeah. like mess with your head. Yeah, or, so it's like or, they, yeah. obviously everyone that, that was coming out was like mm -hmm. like proper smiling. It's like well, I hope I get called. Like you didn't know when the cutoff point was. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah so obviously, like, obviously I got called and you go in and it's like, yeah, you're not good enough. Wow, it's brutal as yeah, that. Literally, just, yeah. you're like, we're not signing you. Obviously, one of the reasons they gave was my height. Mm -hmm. I didn't start growing until I was 18. I was like a late grower. Um, the listeners, you what, 6'2"? I'm 6'4 now. 6'4 now, yeah, wow, okay. But when I, was, when I played for the team, I was very much like my two idols growing up in the goalkeeping world was David Seaman 
and also Shay Given. Shay, I was going to say Shay Given. Yeah. yeah. So it was like I very much like modelled myself on him. Like I was one of the shortest players on the team, but what I what I lacked in height, I made up for in agility. agility. And, yeah, yeah, exactly yeah, that. Yeah, so yeah, yeah and, that, and obviously looking back now, and obviously processing it and dealing with it, it's like a tick list. Does this person tick it? It doesn't matter who they are, how mm. they perform. Do they tick this box? No. Well, someone else will. We'll pick mm. them. And that's it. So it's like, and obviously it's brutal. And obviously that's only why, what, less than 1% make it? Yeah, um, it's 0.001% yeah. or something like that of all yeah. kids will go so, into pros. It was 16, 17. So we're talking, obviously, like 35 now. So it's like the best part of what, 20 years ago. Back then, there wasn't anything <laughs> about mental health. And obviously, even, like, even up until recently, there hasn't been anything. So all this routine, all this structure... Getting told gone. what to do, when to do, yeah. when to do it. Just gone. Just gone. And like there was no after support. There was no no like easing me out of that. It was just, no, we're not signing. No yet. transition. Yeah, crack mm. on with your life. Like, like, it was like, <laughs> Whatever that may be, but we're yeah, not going to yeah, be exactly part of that. it. Yeah. yeah, so it was just like a, oh, Christ almighty. Like I'd, at that time, I'd, personally, I don't think it hit me. I remember crying and, and whatnot. I know, I, but it was just like one of these things like, all right, I've just got to go back to school and mm. focus on school. And, was that a good thing looking back, do you think? If you hadn't, if it had affected you more, it would have, do you know what I mean? Like, I think this is the thing, obviously, like it led to me just like, again, like, I think like, I don't know whether it was the mentality that I, I had or just how I dealt with it. It was just like, well, I've just got to get on with it. I've got to get on with it. And then, so I carried on with school and obviously I was entering like my first year of A-levels and so I went to a grammar school. So it's drummed into you. A's are acceptable. B's are mm, anything less than that. And you are a dunce. Mm. Like it was very, and it was obviously drummed in that A's and uni, that's it. Like you, you're doing all this to go to uni. And I remember first year of A-levels, I cocked up my business studies exam. And again, trying to follow, my, my dad owned his own security company and uh, like my brother did business studies at university. So it's like, I don't know what to do. So I'll, I'll just do that. I look up to my dad in every in every way. So it's like, if he did it, I've got to do it. And because, again, because I did that badly in it and they, they wouldn't let me repeat the year. So it was like, well, what are my options? Mm. Like, you do something else. You have to, I had to drop it or I leave. And it was like a, I don't want to leave, and I, but I can't not do business studies, so I had to leave. I obviously took the took the option to leave, so that was like leaving my circle of friends that I've known since like eleven. And obviously, like in hindsight, six years isn't isn't a long time now looking at it, but obviously back then it's like you're every day with them. So I wouldn't say I was like Mister Popular, but it was loads of loads of mates. And mm. It was just this like I'm your world like, collapses, doesn't it? Your school's yeah. your world, and your world yeah. collapses. Yeah, yeah. And it's obviously like I end up going to college, and college life did not suit me it's different um, yeah, yeah it is yeah, different it's, again it's, it's a like, sixth form college in a school compared to like a big college is definitely different yeah I think like just the the structure and the laid backness and like, like I always struggled at school academically although I was went to a grammar school they say like you're like top 10% I was the bottom the bottom percentile of, of them like I, my friends used to it just used to mind boggle me they'd go out partying like younger than they should but like everyone does like house parties always out I'd have to study so bloody hard for just stuff. to get to the level yeah. where yeah and yeah. it just and it just it wouldn't click for me just could not retain enough information to be mm. able to get A's and B's like mm. well, I got B's but I just I wasn't at their mental level capacity intellectual mm. level but then obviously then going to college it was like people that were made to go to college or it was some form of vocation that they were doing so like mm. they're their level of enthusiasm yes, yeah. was just like... And their mindset was probably different as yeah. well. Yeah, and obviously that, but that probably goes with their background and obviously and obviously that's, that's it's person dependent. But obviously just when you're used to a level and then it's completely different to that, it was just like a... Was it a wake-up call or was it just a culture shock? 
but it was culture shock. I think mm. that's what it was. And it was like how I used to look up to my friends was how people looked at, well, not looked up to me, but I was kind of ridiculed from it because I was, I was a grammar school boy mm. and it's like... The roles were reversed. You yeah. went from being like sort of looked down upon for one reason and then now you're looking being looked down upon in a different way for, yeah. being, for yeah. being intellectual. Yeah, I think so. And it was like, obviously like people, like it used to annoy me that we'd be doing lectures and stuff and they'd just be like chatting and it's like, and I'd just like, will you shut up? I'm here to learn. Like mm. I'm here just, because my focus was get my double distinction. Like, mm-hmm. that's like And then I was like, to go to uni, get mm-hmm. UCAS points, go to uni. It's like, if you don't want to be here, don't turn up. Don't interrupt my mm. time being here. Like, Sound I, like a teacher. Yeah, exactly. It, like, <laughs> it felt like a goody two shoes. It's like, I didn't want to be there. So it's like, but I am here. So I'm, I have mm. to make the most of it because I, I don't want you screwing up this up for me. And it was like, see, so there was like a little bit of, I was probably known as the posh boy, but pretty much. Obviously, grammar school boy, mm. uh, like privileged or whatever. Mm. Like, obviously, just that, the, the stereotype that goes with that. So I didn't enjoy my time there. But I think when I started that in. I started my course in September. Around that September time, my nan, so my mum's mum, lived in Peckham at mm-hmm. the time. Like my granddad had passed away about seven or eight years prior. And she'd done amazing. Like she obviously been married for like 50 odd years. She started to go to social groups and they went on days out. And But I think like the crime levels were. were yeah, this were is pre gentrification Peckham, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think it, it, she lived very close to where, is it Damalola Taylor? Like yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yep. it was obviously like the. So that was all over the news and my nan couldn't even go to the local high street without like, police cordons everywhere and mm. I remember her saying to like my mum like I want to come live with you like I don't want to be here anymore so she sold her she sold a house and so the money she got from the house we built an, an annex on the side of our house for her guys put that house in Peckham's probably worth a lot now isn't it <laughs> yeah 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 so like so she moved in with us in like the November so like a few months into me starting college in the December so like Christmas time she was complaining about this like pain in her stomach. All the while she's living in my brother's old room, but obviously he went to uni and stayed up in Sheffield. And so all this building work's going on. And like, see, my nan was complaining about this pain in her stomach and she had problems with like eating. And so my mum was like, oh, we'll get through Christmas in the new year. We'll go to the hospital and, and see what's what. Booked an appointment to go to doctors. Doctors obviously were like, examine my nan. Like, I wasn't there, but obviously my mum gave me the details. And apparently the doctor didn't like what they were like feeling in a, in a stomach, like referred her to hospital. And then also I was, was at college and I get a phone call. Obviously my, my phone's ringing, it's my mum. It's like, oh, I'm, in, I'm in lesson. Phone rings again, phone rings again. So it's like, I said to her, I was like, can I go out and take this? I was like, there must be some something wrong mm. if my mum's continuously ringing me. So I like, take the call and sit my mum's in tears. Um, I can still, still remember it now, like thinking about it now. She's like, She's got cancer and there's nothing they can do. They let me leave college and I went to the hospital and it was like, my nan was so calm. There mm. was no fear. I remember she's like holding my mum's hand and was like, Kim, it's fine. I just want to see John again, her mm. husband, obviously my granddad. So she was, uh, it was, was that your first real experience of seeing death viscerally? My granddad, I was 11 when my granddad okay. passed away in 99. So that was like my first year of being at grammar school. But I think it obviously, it was just, it wasn't, as close to home. Mm. Like, Eleven, like, you're shielded from it, I guess, as well. A little bit, and I think, yeah. and, I, and again, obviously, like, but although, like, I saw my granddad, and we went to see him in hospital, and but he was in hospital in London, and like, it wasn't a daily thing, right? So obviously, what, more compartmentalized. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, yeah, I guess at that age, it's like in the nicest possible way, it was like out of sight, out of mind kind mm. of thing. But then, obviously, with my nan, it was, um, it was basically everywhere. 
it was in her kidneys and her pancreas. It went obviously like well, I, don't, I don't actually know what the primary cancer was because it obviously by the time she went to the doctors, it was it was everywhere and obviously it, like, doctors couldn't do anything, so mm. it was like palliative care. So she was sent home. Macmillan nurses came in and obviously being at college, I was only there like two and a half days a week. Mm. So this was beginning of January, and it was uh, just this rate of decline was awful. It wasn't even like weekly, it was daily. Mm. Like I'd go to college, I'd come back like a few hours later, and it's like she looked even worse. And Mm. it was just, uh, and she ended up passing away beginning of March. So from middle of January to the beginning of March, it's like no time at all. Mm. Um, Obviously like... There was no fight in her. Like she was, I think she'd accepted it, and so it was almost like she just let it consume her. And that, that was it for me. It was a like a taboo subject with my mum. My mum then had no parents. We couldn't talk about it. And I remember at a funeral. I remember my mum. My mum was just like inconsolable, and like rightfully so. But I remember sort of paralysed with grief. Yeah, almost, and yeah. I remember. I remember her like I remember hugging her and. And I remember she hugged her and like she pulled me away and like looked in my eyes and she's like, like James, I don't have any parents. And it's like, what can you say to your mum? Mm. What was I like seventeen? Like, it's just like, like I can't do anything to make to make that better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And obviously, like my mum didn't. She wasn't like putting her burden on me. Or she, she was being open about how she felt and what she was thinking. But it was just like one of these. It was. I think it was just this. All these, so the being let go from Charlton, the switching up schools, my nan dying, that was all within 18 months. And it was just it's a lot this, for a 17 year old to deal with. Yeah. yeah, plus obviously I was going through like puberty as well. So it's like all these well, hormones and whatever. And it was just. At least you grew. At least you grew. Yeah, a bit yeah. More. <laughs> yeah. That, to be fair, I think that was another thing that was in the back of my mind about the if only. If only I'd have grown quicker, mm. or if only like the selection process would have taken a little bit longer. That was another like. Head- you didn't think more like, oh, I could give it another go and try and join. You know, no, you know I- these examples of you know players who have got into professional football quite late in a very yeah, yeah. You know, Ian Wright, twenty three, yep. twenty four. Yeah, Jamie Vardy. Jamie Vardy. And- yeah. So did you not think a little bit like that? I think once they let me go, I you saw that. That's it. Fell out of love. Yeah. Oh, you I- fell out of love with it. Yeah. Yeah. It was yeah. Just like which a- is fair enough. I had this ego view that I'm not good enough. So it's like, and I-, I didn't even go back and play for my town, my local team. I didn't even do that. Did you- was it a shame that you felt? Yeah, that was exactly what it like. Yeah. It was just. I end up, because I couldn't talk about the situation with my nan, I almost then didn't talk about anything else and I just internalised everything. Yeah. And it was just this, I felt like I let my parents down. Mm, all um, the work they put in the sacrifices. Yeah, like, like yeah. Four, you four, hadn't, mate. You hadn't let people down. I know, down. But, the, like the yeah. mind. but that's how those kids think. I mean, yeah. I've read Michael Calvin's No Hunger in Paradise. I've yeah. watched Rio Ferdinand's documentary he did on, on youth footballers and I'm sure you put, you're probably aware of that. And you see the pain in the people he speaks to, like yeah. all these old West Ham boys. And yeah. you still see it now. As like, and they're like in their 50s, for, late 40s. Yeah, yeah, I, think it's just, yeah it's, I think it's just one of them. Like, you, get, you get put on a pedestal and then, but then there's, there yeah. was no... You're the football boy, yeah. as he said. Like yeah. One of his mates said, oh, I'm the football boy around my town. Like yeah. I'm the person that's going to do it and everyone says I'm going to do it yep. so when you don't what's your identity exactly that mm. and so yeah so it was just it was just this like I'm not all the investment that my parents put into me for 10 years knowing product nothing good come of it in or, your head at that in, time in my yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. So yeah put a caveat to that yeah. in, in my head at the time although obviously they were just being incredibly supportive parents trying to let their son pursue his passion mm. and his talent and mm. to see where it went Mm. Like that, obviously, like in hindsight, they never felt the way that I felt, and I think that's there's, there's a lesson there that you always feel, you always play out the worst case scenario more mm. than what is actually real in reality. I felt a failure to my parents. I felt a failure to my friends that I wasn't able to keep up 
an academic level to be where they're at. You didn't and feel like you were in any box. No. You didn't feel like at the time you were good enough to be intellectual. No. You weren't good enough to be a footballer. No. But then you also, in blunt terms here, but this is probably, a, I can probably put it better than this, but you were too clever for the college kids. Yeah, it was, yeah, kind of like I, I didn't fit any boxes. I didn't yeah. fit any, 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 yeah, any, any social circles or. You weren't yeah. dumb enough for them, basically. Yeah, to be like, yeah, with, yeah, with that, yeah, I th- yeah, I think in layman's terms, yeah, yeah. And then, and then obviously, then, then was the situation with my nan. Like I couldn't help her in any you couldn't way. Couldn't help your mum. Yeah, no, it's and that it's helplessness. So, sort of yeah, thing, so yeah. it was like I internalized everything, and essentially, like the way that that manifested itself was in the form of my eating disorder. We'll talk about that a little bit later in the pod, mate. Yeah, but. Let's come back to fitness. Yep. We've done all we've gone all the way around the all house around, before yeah, we've yeah. actually got to it. Yeah. So it's good, but it's good to the good context there. Yep. So the reason you initially got into the gym, specifically in, in air quotes, was because of a relationship breakup you yep. went through. That's correct. So just tell me about how that gave you the desire to step firstly into the gym from a professional perspective. Yeah, so the, the, the relationship breakup, obviously we'll get to the how, how it got. The nuts that. and bolts yeah. later on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But essentially it was to do with the fact that how I viewed myself at the time was different to how obviously I viewed myself when I had my mental health problems. I saw myself for probably how other people saw me. I was six four. I was nine and a half stone when <sighs> I when that relationship broke down, and I just had this. I guess it was some sort of like macho view, as in like I should be the protector. I should be the person that can support my partner. Obviously, at the point it was it was this it was this woman. Although we broke up, I had it in my head that I don't look like a man. If trouble ever came our way, she would probably step in in front of me. Did you feel quite emasculated by that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I had this vision in my head that if I go to the gym and I get a little bit bigger, I'll feel better in myself. I will look more of a man. And if she sees me, she want you back. She want me back. That was solely my reason for going to the gym. I was out of the destructive cycle I was in from my mental health and obviously she played a big part of that the secretive nature of what I was doing to be able to live with someone and open up my world and to have to change my routines to fit the dynamic that I was in was a massive help for getting my head on the straight and narrow so mentally I was better physically I was massively underweight so it was just this instead of whereas before the vicious cycle that you're in you'd You'd have a good few months of doing something, something will go wrong or you will deem something hasn't gone the way that you wanted and you will revert back to that vicious cycle of self-sabotage. For the first time in my life, I didn't do that. It broke the cycle. Yeah, it didn't even enter my head. It's like, this is sink or swim now. I'm on my own. Literally, I'm on my own now. I don't even have, like my parents are five hours away. My brother's married with his wife and obviously had his own got his own life like I can't be burdening him with my stuff I'm in this now I've got to do it the way that I dealt with it was to was to go to the gym and kind of put these positive steps and routines in place that I've never had before so it was like a it was like it's a bad a, reason but it was a good outcome in, yeah, in, in the end yeah and it, like, I, remember, I remember walking in there and it was like this this feeling of anxiety and mm. people you okay, thought people were yeah, looking at you yeah, yeah. Okay, that's, that's, that's yeah, how I felt when yeah. I stepped in my people gym you realise actually people don't care people looking at me and judging me and it's like like every time I was looking around, like I'd see someone was looking at me. Obviously, again, like re-emphasizing my, my paranoia. Kind of, yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. It's like you know, I was seeking like the confirmation, like bias or whatever, or the opinion that I had. And I remember I was going to the gym. I didn't know what the hell I was doing, but luckily I turned up every day for a week. And then I got chatting to the guy that run the gym. The gym. Well, let me just tell you that the gym was literally a stone's throw for where I used to live with this woman. So it was like 
Did you choose it deliberately then yeah. in that sense? Right, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, accidentally bump into her deliberately. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. They'll say that I'm not, yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not silly. Right. That's obviously that's the plan that was the plan that I kind of played out in my head. So I was chatting to the guy that owned the gym and he turned out to be like a five times Mr. Great Britain. I told him my story and he was like, Oh Christ, mate, he's like, We've we've all been there with women and he's like, I don't understand the mental health side of things. He's like, But me and my son, like his son was 17 he was like a junior bodybuilder and he's like like my son runs a gym for me he's like i come in every now and then he's like if you want to change he's like we'll take you under our wing and we'll help you like if you give yourself to us we'll definitely help you change how did that feel really nice having that just support just yeah in the and, I, and i think to get it in a gym environment where there is this stereotype of like man's man and like mm. no one's no one's out for you they're all out for themselves mm. it was kind of like this did that break your illusion of that? Like when you actually think, go to a proper gym where yes, people work out and yes, there might, might be big men. Like my gym is like that, but 99% of people there are there to lift. Yeah. Support I, you, I, you know? I, I think that's what it is. I think, I think people's perception of, of the gym is that this like, it's kind of this place where everyone's going to judge you. But in, in reality, I think people that have... Yeah, if you go to a good gym, yeah. You yeah, don't go to one of those city gyms. Yeah. Like <laughs> people that have been in, in the fitness or in the, in the gym for, for a certain period of time, it is a very supportive environment. Mm. It is because people know that if, if someone's coming in and they... They look. Everyone starts somewhere. Yeah, and they and they knew and they look wet behind the ears. Like mm. people ain't gonna crap on you. They're gonna offer you support. And yeah, as long as you show respect. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And, 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 stuff. and I think I think that kind of that's what slowly shifted like my view of it. And the son, like the seventeen-year-old, he literally became my baby brother over the next four years. He became like my best mate. And you put on five stone, five and a half stone, five and a half stone in, in eighteen months. Yeah. So it was like a I, literally I, transformed. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I did the um, I did the whole Instagram thing. But it was more for my own accountability. I never set out to become like some form of like influencer thing. It was just a way of if I put stuff out there and I put workouts up there and I put like progress pictures up, that competitive nature that's been instilled for me from a kid was like, I don't want to see like a failure. I don't want to be deemed like a failure. I know what that feels like. So if I start on this journey, I can't stop. And obviously you got, the, you got the fitness bug. Yeah, yeah. I, caught, I, caught the, I caught the fitness bug and then it was the ear. Yeah, and, the, and then my Instagram started to blow up. And I think for so long, when I had, obviously it was a decade that I had my mental health problem, I had no interaction, no compliments. My self-image was nothing. And, and when you've got all these people that are liking your stuff and... You get that validation again. Yeah, and like it was football. like, I, I, yeah. I, I'll be honest with you. Like, Do you I, know how to handle it? No. No. I gained an ego. I gained mm. this cockiness and this arrogance. And I think like... I've Probably heard, a lot of PTs can fall victim to that, I imagine. Yeah, and I think obviously yeah. this was before like, the PT stuff. This was just mm. me being, oh, okay. in, being, yeah. in, being in the gym. And it was like this... Looking back now, obviously, like the level of what, where I'm at, like as much as people on the outside were looking in thinking, God, he's a fucking dickhead. I think I needed that to elevate myself to a point whereby I was leveling myself up physically, mentally, emotionally... And I think I used the ego to build myself up. And one of the most important things that I've learned is like the self-love. Even like people now, like I'm not very, in social situations, I'm not an extrovert, but I am very confident. I'm mm. very confident in my own. You have like, to be made to like, Yeah, like, yeah like, like, I, I know what I'm good at and I, I, like, I own my own crap, but I don't shout about it. I, I don't feel the need to do that. But I think whereas before, like I would, I went through that stage of, trying to win out people's opinions who, who in reality meant nothing to me they brought nothing to my life I brought nothing to their life but it's like if I was in a room with someone I had to feel like I impressed mm. them mm. and it's like but I think that's just that level of immaturity I think I probably had and again like because I never had a lot of young guys from the age of what 17 to 
20, 26 before they may start to like settle down, they go through this stage of like drinking culture, lads holidays, potentially one night stands and playing Jack the Lad and whatever. Like I never had that. I missed, I'm, 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 yeah, I missed out on all that. So it was kind of like this was... I'd have been the drinking, yes, less so the other things. <laughs> yeah, so it was kind of like... I was potentially being like... I was like late to the party, but I was doing it in, in my own way. Like life catch up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah so it's like I, I was... I always say with my friends, like when I was changing, transforming, that I'm like, I'm late to the party, but I'm getting there now. I may be like 10 years behind you boys, but, it was like, but I'm, I'm experiencing things that you experienced like years ago. Then it ended up... I got into... Through Instagram, I got into like the modeling, doing modeling work and then extra work. So I was doing commercials and like collaborative work with Adidas and crazy things, to be honest. Obviously, I'm a massive football fan and obviously I'm a massive Liverpool fan. And I got the chance to work with Mo Salah on a commercial for Adidas. And it was just like a... <laughs> Jesus. I remember being in the, in the bus. I didn't know who I was. You don't know who you're working with until the day. And I was in makeup. They're like, oh, you know who you're working with today? I was like, no. They're like, what football team do you support? I was like, I'm a Liverpool fan. She's like, oh, you're going to like today. I was like, why? She's like, it's Mo Salah. So I remember, like, butterflies, like, nervous excitement. It's like, I remember sitting sitting there waiting to be called to set, and it was like, how the fuck have I got here? This is like, from where I was to where I am now, this is like, this is crazy. And to have that little self-reflection time, which I do every every now and then, like, to almost Just give to you... take it in. Yeah, yeah, to give yourself, like, a pat on the back, as in, like... You may not be where you think you should be, but look where you were to where you are now. I mean, mm. that's like an, it's an important important thing. And again, it validates it to me. Although it's working with them type of people. It doesn't really enrich your life in the grand scheme of things, but it kind of validates what you've done. It kind of rewards you for that journey that you've been on. And I think that's kind of, yeah, that's kind of, to reinforce that like I should be proud of myself and I should be from where I was to where I am now. The universe is kind of rewarding me with little tidbits to keep me focused and to keep me like trying to, elevate my life but obviously all the while of doing the modeling and the and the extra work was all these people messaging me like man your transformation is mad like help me and so is that how it turned into the yeah the passion to the career yeah yeah so it was just like i think i've got like 20 people waiting for me to potentially like train me i was like that's as much as if i was working in an office i can go in the gym all day so yeah so i ended up going down getting my pt qualifications and then and then yeah and then doing that so february 2019 is when i first started officially became a qualified PT never worked in a gym it was all off my own back so from the get-go it was like a online trainer most of it and then face-to-face with people that were local to me and then I had two jobs I had the PT in and then I had the, the modeling and extra work and that was me for pretty much the whole of, of 2019 for someone that hadn't really worked over the last like 10 years and money and finances even to stay finances are not I'm not where I want to be but yeah, like I was. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, like I was. I was earning like decent whack, yeah, shall yeah, we say? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So like, like single lad living on his own, no real like outgoings, barring like y- your bills. Mm. It's like, you know, this is all right. This, like, <laughs> like, like, I'm, I'm doing all this, and I'm I'm probably earning like the same or more than if I was to do a nine to five. Yet I'm working with X, Y, and Z. I'm in the gym whenever I want. I can train and then and then train other people and. And come home and it was like that freedom is like I, I can't see myself doing this this is me now for the mm. rest of my life and then obviously the end of December 2019 is another 18 month period where mm. life tries tries you tests yeah you. well let's um, fast forward to that because the reason why you say that is because you're playing football mm-hmm. and you break your leg yep however 
that's not the worst part. No. Because you break your leg more than once. Yeah. So just take the listeners through the first time, that recovery journey, and then the second time and how that affected you. Yep. So we are talking now... Actually, no, you did it three times. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah <laughs> three yeah. times. <laughs> yeah. So it was it was around around October 2019. I'd just come home and whatever. And I was going through social media, as you always do, looking at the message requests. Mm-hmm. And I had a message request from a girl that, bearing in mind the PT stuff I was doing... It was solely PT stuff there. I wasn't really posting a lot about my mental health journey. Mm-hmm. I'd kind of dipped my toe in the water of sharing my story on a few things. And obviously this girl had seen it mm-hmm. and she sent me a message basically saying like, I listened to what you spoke about and she said, I, I had an eating disorder and I still kind of struggle with it today. She's like, for a guy to talk about it and to where you are now, she's like, I hope you're really proud of yourself. Mm. I was like... How did that feel? Nice. It was, yeah, it was nice like this... Um, yeah, just a bit of, again, like recognition. And, and again, because it was through, it wasn't about how I looked or what I did. It was what I've done. Like that validation from like the recovery point of view. I was like, I was like thank you very much. Like that, 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 that means a lot. And this is 2019. Um, There's not a lot of men talking about eating disorders no, back then. Say no, that 100%, 100%. The conversation like developed and I was like, she added me as a friend and she like, do you want to grab a coffee sometime? I was like, I was like yeah, I'd be happy to do that. The coffee turned into a dinner and dinner turned into various dates and whatever and stupidly for me I opened up to her about about everything because of the message that she sent and you felt you could trust her yeah, yeah like she'd been through oh, someone else has been through similar things oh I can open myself up to her she'd probably understand more you trauma than, bonded early yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and again because always because, something I try and avoid now yeah exactly <laughs> that so so it got to uh Christmas I remember we went on a date we went for a lunch date on Christmas Eve and I literally went from there to driving down to my parents. And it was like, oh, like we're going to have all these plans and we really get each other. This was her. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I get you and you're not how I thought you would be in terms of like you, you've got like this macho image, popular image, but, but you're the real you're core. The, yeah, the yeah. core of you. Like you're honest, you're humble, you're... And it was like... That's a bit of a backhanded compliment, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. yeah, it was. It was yeah, It was almost like, yeah, you'd like you, you have this like PT arrogance but that isn't the real you that's the image that you possibly project on social media to fit the narrative or mm-hmm. but yeah but obviously like the root of you or the core of you is, is like is honest and humble and there's a there's a backstory behind it and there's like there's layers to you and it's like you know this is nice, nice so stupidly I had gone a little bit OTT on the Christmas presents probably um, a result of the trauma bonded as well that's what happens yeah. the intensity becomes very quick very yeah. high so very quickly I'm uh, the listeners are going to know where this goes so Christmas Day and like Merry Merry Christmas mm-hmm. like we'll sort something out when we're back and we'll, we'll catch up and it's like yeah yeah travelling like messaging all the time and Boxing Day went to see my dad's my auntie and my cousin and came back and then I was travelling back up travelling back up to Sheffield so I was letting her know that I was travelling back and I'd be back at this time and I was maybe halfway halfway back to Sheffield and uh, I get this really long WhatsApp message how long have you been going out with her before before we we went we went we, we were we were seeing each other but this would have been like from so yeah it didn't have a label more of yeah. a situation ship yeah it yeah. was yeah it was kind of like it was never official but we were getting to know each other mm. so it had been like like middle of October I think was the first like the coffee date yeah the coffee was more of a understand sort of like, each other, each other like, yeah like, almost like a consultation it wasn't very long but I'm saying in terms of like I completely read the situation wrong in hindsight so this message was like a, a book. <laughs> You know, they were like, read more. It was like, like read more. Yeah, like, yeah. Read more, click three yeah, times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so as I'm reading it, her picture disappears on WhatsApp. 
So now you know she's blocked you. Yeah, so like I'm reading it and it was like, I don't want to like air the... Yeah, let's get yeah. the gist. The gist without yeah. obviously... Yeah, so the, the gist details. of it was obviously like, there's always been someone else and... Not a great start. No. And we were going through a difficult time and I was using you as a crutch. <laughs> it doesn't get better. Yeah. No. And he has got back in touch over the Christmas period and we are giving it another go. So, and then I remember like, again... I remember doing, I was doing a Facebook Live of me literally having a breakdown. I was swearing and trying to put the world to rights, but it was kind of like, it was my own personal frustration and I was I did it in such a toxic way and it was uh, shameful, really. I wasn't like individualizing it. I wasn't picking anybody out, but it was like a generalization of why do good guys get shit on mm. and like why me again like mm. victim complex mm. whereas like ultimately at the end of the day it was my fault i let her in too quick i read the situation wrong i got myself financially and more so invested than i should have done this is the contradictions in it because in dating we were having this conversation off yeah. air weren't we and, and i said to you know i've had to learn how to put healthy boundaries in place yep. and not tell girls about vent too early because a lot of the time i get burned and yep. trauma bonding like you said that everything becomes very intense very quickly but the, the narrative out there online is men just talk about your mental health and da da da. But when it actually comes to dating, the reality is very different. Yeah, I say it is. There is like this paradox. Yes, like it yeah, is like, yeah. definitely it, a contradiction. Yeah. yeah, and I think, like I said, I ended up. I think I ended up deleting it the following morning. Mm -hmm. Like I, I obviously went to bed really pissed off, <laughs> like, and then woke up in the morning and it was kind of like a new day. Yeah, that was embarrassing. Delete. Mm. All the while, it was around March that year. I had done previous work, like modeling shoot with a photographer. So we were in like this Facebook modeling group where they share all your pictures and whatever. And there was a girl that the photographer had worked with who put some pictures up and it was like, it was just initial, I don't know who, the, I didn't know who this girl was, but it was like, fuck me, she's a, she is stunning. Mm. Like she's gorgeous. So it was like, went on the profile as you do like a little bit of a, of a stalk and it was like, God, I'm like, you're stunning. Like started following her on Instagram added her on Facebook and then I've never been one to like slide into DMs. I've never been one to chat up girls. I think like, like we spoke about, mm. I don't, I've never had that. What privileged position to be in. Right? <laughs> yeah. And, well, no, it wasn't, it was obviously my, the only way that I had interactions with, with women was either if they made the first move or I was on dating sites and it was sure. kind of like, you can spend time getting to know someone and it's kind of mutual. Whereas like, I guess it, whether it's the, like I almost had that confidence as a kid, like the, the bad mindset or this like, I'm not confident enough, so I'm not even going to try. I don't like, well, if they say no, how embarrassing. Whereas it's like, what I've learned now, it's like, <laughs> give a shit. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, but I, so this girl, she was on my social media and obviously anything that she like posted, I was kind of like, liking, not love hearting, didn't want to come mm -hmm. across too, uh, too, <laughs> too strong. Yeah. And then my apartment was up for a renewal, like my, my lease was up and it was like, do I have to extend it for another year or do I look elsewhere? And I was doing so much work in Manchester with the modeling stuff. It was almost like, actually looked at moving to Huddersfield. I actually got an apartment. It was agreed by the estate agent. I'd paid my deposit and then the landlord changed his mind. But because I'd paid all the fees, I got my deposit back. I never got any of the fees back. And I was like, but before when I'd viewed it and I viewed it again, I sent Becky like a DM and it wasn't flirtatious. It was literally like, oh, look, I know that you live in Huddersfield. Like I'm, I'm, I viewed an apartment here and I'm looking at moving here. Like, what's it like? What's the, what's the, yeah, yeah. what's the area like? Good start, good yeah. intro, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, and, like, the funny thing was, like, her reply was, I wouldn't move here, it's a shithole. 
no like oh whereabouts or <laughs> yeah, yeah, it yeah. was just like I was like she's not interested oh apologies like, to the listeners of Huddersfield oh I'm a Huddersfield town fad so yeah. apologies well, to right. the she's, listeners she's, she's lived there her whole life so she's got far more of a oh yeah she can uh, say it then yeah yeah, she's, yeah, yeah. She's, yeah she's, <laughs> her opinion is far more valid that was literally it that was like well clearly she ain't interested and obviously I didn't know, I didn't really know what to expect in regards to like the message was a general message what's it like like I, I was going to move to an area that I don't really know but it was like a halfway house between my clients in Sheffield and the work in Manchester but I thought like, oh she's not maybe she's seeing someone or whatever Forgot. Maybe that's just the Huddersfield bluntness, mate. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> and then at Christmas, I put a post up about, obviously I spent time with my mum and dad. I think we took a picture on Christmas Day and it was like a, a before and after for, from like a previous, like a Christmas from years ago or a, or a picture of me when I was potentially one of the pictures that was taken when I was at my worst to the picture of me with my mum and dad and Christmas hats on. And I think I basically said about how the journey that I've been on coming back and, and spending time with my mum and dad and how close I am to them and the support they gave me over the years. Like, I love it. And it's made the journey, like, as difficult as it was for me and them, it's all worth it now. And Becky liked it. She liked the post. And it was, like, obviously, it's probably the, her first inkling into my mental health journey. I remember, because she liked it, it was, like, the first post she liked. I sent her a DM again. Mm. Merry Christmas. Hope you, have a, hope, you have a great, hope you have a great Christmas. And I hope, like... 2020 brings you, you know, like the standard yeah 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 the standard stuff but I, I genuinely meant it but obviously and then I was I meant it in a at the time it was obviously I was seeing this girl so it's like I'm never gonna do dip, anything dip, yeah, yeah, I'm not gonna dip me toe in two waters I was, I was, I'm very much like if I'm talking to you it's you yeah there's yeah. no like no one else once you get past a certain age, I feel like if you try and date multiple people at the yeah, time, like the admin, I just feel like I just say to people, the admin's too much for me. Tell yeah. you don't want to be like, oh, have yeah, I told yeah, the other girl the other yeah. thing that you forget? It's like, no. But I think I had that mindset and I naively thought that everyone would have the same <laughs> yeah, mindset. Yeah, yeah, you swiftly find yeah. out that's not and the I case. Think, yeah, when, when I was doing like the rounds on, on Twitter, you, you Twitter? On the Tinder, that you realised, no. No. No, you either need to get off Tinder or, or change your outlook on what to expect, mm. your expectations. So obviously this thing happened with this with this girl and I remember doing the Facebook Live. Luckily, Becky saw the Facebook Live, but she didn't have the sound on. It came up on you. Oh, thank God. Yeah. yeah. So obviously she didn't hear it. And then my parents came up on the 28th of December to spend time with my brother and like my sister-in-law. And they just had their first kid just before Christmas. They came up and obviously they spent New Year's with them but they was they were, they were staying at mine it would have been the saturday like the last saturday in december so maybe the 30th the day before new year's i shouldn't have played football i was still stewing we're back to the leg breaks now. yeah <laughs> yeah 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 so i was stewing over this girl it wasn't even her it was me it was like i was so angry at myself for letting someone in like being vulnerable telling them mm. telling them stuff that you don't you've, i've never you don't normally tell people and obviously like in the first couple of minutes of the game like they always do, because I'm quite big and obviously being a goalkeeper, I'm quite intimidating. Everyone, especially at corners, elbows in the mm. stomach and stamping on the feet. And their striker like stamped on my feet. Like I heard my toe crack. My toes cracks all the time anyway now, but it's like, it can hurt. And I, said, I always say, I was like, I laughed. He's not showing mum. I was like, I was like, you do that again and I'll get you back. So he's like, yeah, whatever, mate. Like next corner does the exact same thing. So like a bit further on in the game, there's like a... 50-50, the ball's coming, like they played like a through ball, it's bouncing on like the edge of the area, he's running towards me, so I'm like, I better get that ball first, if I get that ball I'm taking him out as well, mm. I managed to get my foot to the ball first, kick it out, and as I've followed through, I've brought my knee up, and I've, I knocked him out, I stood over him, again I'd call it like a right twat, like stood over him, I was like, I fucking warned you, I fucking warned you, 
Like, and I was venting my own frustration out on him, which is completely, I don't know this guy, but I was like using him as a, as a way of relieving my own anger. And then about five minutes after that, almost like an identical 50-50 with his strike teammate, got to the ball first and he, this guy scissored me, scissored me on like just above my ankle. Jesus Christ, that hurt. Carried on. The initial pain was like, oh, it's just uh, like adrenaline's rushing and oh, proper, oh, just what his impact, just mm. like studs impact. We're going to have like a bruise or whatever. So carried on playing. It was like about 10 minutes left of the half. He's like, if you roll your ankle or you twist it, it, like, it hurts and then that pain slowly goes and it's, mm. it's uncomfortable. It's like, this was getting worse. As it went on, it was getting worse. And so I was kicking the ball and it's like, oh, fucking hell, this like something, something's not right. And then the last kick of the first half, I took a goal kick. And as I kicked the ball, so I'm left-footed and it was my left foot, my leg just buckled as I kicked the ball. And obviously, ref blew hard-time whistle. And like, I came off and obviously sitting or standing around for 10 minutes before the game, it just complete my, it just seized up. Couldn't get my boot off and I genuinely can't carry on. I can't kick the ball. I'm not going to be able to dive. And so obviously, someone else had to go in goal. So I watched, watched the second half, but again, standing around and see, it started to swell even more and by the end of the, the night I think we ended up going around to my brother's and it was like my foot was I couldn't put my shoe on I had managed to get a, um, a like a sock on but I had to cut the elastic off and like, it looked like I had like elephantitis Jesus but unbeknownst to me it wasn't I thought I may have sprained it or but it turned out to be a double fracture so I fractured the bones either side above my ankle so I was in a in a boot I was in like a little cast and in a boot for like six weeks so in hindsight six weeks was fine I was like hobbling around everywhere and I was still going to football and watching it and like six weeks was like, I can, as much as it's annoying, if I can't play, I can support and still be part of it. And I played a game, like the first game back after that, it was fine. And then the, the next game was the semi-final of the cup against uh, our biggest rivals. We're always, it was either us two who were going to win the title. We won the league that year. In the semi-final of the cup, it was, they were winning 2-1, rightfully so. And I'm, the ball was on, on the edge of the area. Their strikers running for it. My left back's running for it. Obviously, I've called for it. So I, I've taken them all out. And I, I knocked knees. Like, knee, knee to yeah, knee. Yeah, that's the worst. Oh, it's oh. awful. Like, and obviously, like, I had the ball in my hand. Like, went down. Whoever comes off worse there is fucked. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing. So, un, unbeknownst to me, this was like in the second half. And there was still about half an hour to go. And it was like, a, again, like that feeling of, you're in a game environment. I need to be the best I can be. It's painful, but adrenaline's there, so it's masking the real mm. pain. It's almost like I'm like stamping my foot down to try and whatever you, you try and do. Work it out, work yeah, it out. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it was like, this is right. I'll be all right. I carried on playing, and with about five minutes to go, they put a, a cross into back post. I've planted, and I don't usually, I usually, when I jump up in the air, I usually plant my right foot and my left foot and jump up in the air. I planted my right foot. So 15, 15 stone, planting my right foot. And as I've jumped, I've just heard, it sounds weird. I think it was, I must've gone into like panic mode. It sounded like a shotgun. That's what it sounded like. Wow. I was so confused because the, the, my first thing, I, I went down on the floor and I looked behind me because it sounds stupid now. I thought I'd been shot. Uh, obviously I heard this bang and then it was like, the only way I can describe it to people is if someone had a lighter on the inside of my leg behind my knee, and they were just literally had the lighter, they had the flame going, oh my like God. this burning sensation. I was screaming. I was screaming. I had fucking tears in my eyes, and obviously, like game got stopped. And so they the goalies are mad, so they must have known something was wrong. Yeah, <laughs> and I, and I, so they rung an ambulance, and obviously, the, the game got called. It was done. 
I think we've only like a, like three or four minutes left, so obviously they won or whatever, and I had to. I waited for about four hours for an ambulance. Jesus. Saturday afternoon. We think he's broke his leg. It's a football injury. Like list of priorities. They yeah, might he's think, yeah, way down. Yeah, and we were playing in Buxton, which is like in, obviously Sheffield wise, it's our centre nowhere. Obviously, mm. the, where the water is, it's like hills and not very easy to get to. And it started to get cold. It was like sunny in the morning, and like the wind picked up, and then we're talking like five half five so we played on a 4g pitch they managed to open the doors up to the pitch and they drove my car to protect me from the from the winds i said i had no i just had my like my goalkeeper stuff on and i remember like sick almost like shrimping myself up against the back of my car to use it as a seat and i remember looking down at my leg and it looked like a, a snake like an s like an s shape oh my god and um luckily one of the there was like a i'm a coffee addict and the guy that played for tansley or one of their coaches went and got me a coffee and probably not the best thing to be admitting on a podcast but I used to play football so much that I had so many problems with my back mm. that I used to take tramadol to self-medicate not in an, an addiction way it was just a way of like I'd take like when my back was sore I'd take one before a game and it kind of like I'd feel all right and then I'd deal with it that's not far off as getting an injection of cortisone no, yeah in, in, do, in a way yeah. yeah so obviously I always kept the tramadol in my football bag so I ended up like I remember popping I must have had about three of them, which is like a, like a big dose, like a big, big dose. Yeah, I'll take out an elephant. <laughs> yeah. See, I remember like just feeling like a bit wavy, just trying to not look at my leg. And it was like this, I couldn't look, but I couldn't look away. Ambulance came and had to like cut me out my boot and I wore them like compression shin pads, like or like, like a proper sock and like cut that out. And obviously you could just see, it was like a tip of a mountain. Obviously my tib and fib had broke and it was like, they'd crossed over and it, it didn't break the skin, luckily enough. And obviously... The hospital said, had I not been wearing, I used to wear like compression shin pads and a set of shin pads as well. They were saying about, you've almost compacted. Had you not been wearing them, they said that the bone would have come through oh. the skin and obviously that would have been a million times worse. So I ended up, I broke it in four places. What had happened was the knock of the knee had caused a fracture just below my knee. So obviously the stability of my leg was compromised and obviously me then putting my weight on it and then trying to jump up in the air, so caused it to buckle. So it was like a, a break at the top, my tib and fib, and there was bone at the bottom as well. That was on uh, February, it's about the 20th, it's like the last week in February. I'd started seeing Becky at that point. We'd gone on our first date, middle of January, and I came out of hospital just before lockdown, just before the lockdown. So Becky and I had known each other properly for like two months. So as we entered lockdown, I was in a full-on cast, and I'm talking like toe to bollocks basically like completely set in in one place and she used to come like your night like, nurse <laughs> yeah like, like, I think like three times a week bearing in mind she lived in Huddersfield so it's like an hour drive like I had see my brother lived locally but he was because of his newborn son he was reluctant to help as much as I disagreed with that because I'm not seeing anyone mm. I'm, I'm on my own I'm in need and I I can't do things for myself. I couldn't get shopping and mm. you couldn't get online shopping because everyone took them slots. So it's like I needed someone to physically do it for me. And he he chose not to, but obviously Becky did. And I think that was like, I was so guarded with her because of what had gone on like, mm. previously. As you would, yeah. naturally. Yeah, yeah and obviously, but obviously she didn't understand that because mm -hmm. it... Like, she only sees you for, you know, she doesn't know yeah. your history. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So, so for like the first six months or whatever, she was at a point where she felt like she was in love with me. Mm -hmm. And I was... At the point where I was like, why is this girl coming three times a week to see me? I'm thinking, what's the ulterior motive? 
Is that what you thought? Yeah. Yeah. I knew I was falling for her. But you thought there was something serious yeah. to line behind yeah, with it. With it with the, with the, every, the, the paranoia and the trust yeah. issues you had before. Yeah, yeah. and I said it was the, the trust issues were like different. Like the last girl that I, the only girl that I'd loved previous to her, left me via WhatsApp when I was going mm. to work. And obviously that, that, that was a blessing in disguise in terms of the gym. There was still this trust issue thing and obviously the people that in the in the three years before I met Becky of being single and the dating thing mm-hmm. again that just reinforced the I'm single for a reason mm. and like the people that I met weren't the right type of people for me and had other agendas and obviously like you said like you only a new person comes along and you immediately tar them with the same brush whether that's right or wrong it was the defense mechanism mm-hmm. like it was exactly that and obviously we had like friction obviously the intense nature of lockdown coupled with the fact that we were still getting to know each other mm. and I'm still dealing with this stuff. And so she was working. She works for a car insurance company. She's always been a home worker. So even during lockdown, she worked. Obviously, like on the times that she didn't, she'd come to me. And on weekends, she'd come to me when she didn't have a daughter. So it's like she was having this massive investment. And it was obviously in hindsight, I completely get where she was coming from now. It's like I'm making all this effort, yet you're giving me nothing. You're not progressing. You didn't see that, no, though, did you? No, no, no. 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 And again, like, in my head, I'm thinking like, my legs broke. Like, what's trying to do? You trying to get my flat? Yeah, <laughs> I, I was probably more wrapped up in my own stuff because it's like <coughs> financially, lockdown and the leg breaks really screwed me. Obviously, mentally, it was my biggest test since getting over my mental health problems. And then it was also in the back of my mind. I think my parents planted it, and then it was like, Christ Almighty, that's true. My mum and dad were like, "This is the second leg break now. What are the long term effects of having an eating disorder? Sarcopenia, osteoporosis." weak bones I was like crap despite the fact that you had put on the five stone and yeah you were done obviously yeah, but yeah, you, yeah, you, don't, yeah. you don't know what damage had already been done like, yes, prior yes, to that so, so I was like I'm going to have to get a bone density scan once I've recovered and just to see again that would have impacted football if I played football again and even being a PT being able to constantly put my body under pressure in a work environment and for my own sense of well-being the challenge yeah, and, yeah, yeah, it was yeah, yeah. Like, to, know, to know in the back of my mind I've got weak bones that's going to be a massive head screw I had all this going on and then obviously there was all these things that, w- that were new to me, like financial burden, whether I could play football again, whether I could continue doing this career that I'd forged myself and and then obviously the developing relationship with Becky, it was just this new thing for me that I just had no, I was learning on the job, learning day to day and obviously I I didn't deal with it in the in the best way, but a bit like the lockdown situation, it was new for everyone, everyone learned on the mm. job, so it's like just, I dealt with it as I, as I could. Tell me about the third break then. <laughs> so... I was in a cast from yes yeah, so from February to about July. I got told that I was going to be in a cast for a year, but I kind of went against doctor's advice again for my own sanity during lockdown and to keep. I'm so routine. I'm, like the structure and the routine is such an important aspect to me. So it's like I maybe spent a week of woe is me, and it's like I've got to own my shit now. Like it's only me that's going to get myself out, and it's like. So luckily when I was in hospital, I bought some dumbbells, like adjustable dumbbells, and I bought a bench. So that was waiting for me when I got home. So obviously when lockdown started, it's like I've got some therapy there. So despite, you can imagine like with your, obviously got quite long legs, like fixed out like that on a bench doing like chest press and dumbbells and like, the, like flies. And I was trying to do press ups as well. And I had this structural routine of like, I'd get up, I'd have, I was doing 500 press ups a day at home, but I was doing them in like, 100 to 200 in like sets so I'd wake up and do that I'd do a little workout I'd go for a walk I'd do my, my hour walk of like hobbling around where I used to live and try and do like one to two miles a day and I think obviously that I was making like crazy 
recovery with my leg they were like within within like a few months it, the bones had already started to forge together and it was like well clearly they're putting it under a little bit of stress and going out and the sunlight vitamin d and whatever is clearly like a catalyst to the recovery and then so i was out the cast in i think it was the end of july and it was like you're clinically healed obviously you're still weak but you can go and you can start putting a little bit of stress through it so you can walk we wouldn't advise running but if you go on the treadmill you walk on an incline put a bit of stress through through the leg so so i did that and obviously the new football season was started in, in september so i was like that's my goal gotta get back for the new season so like i played in a couple of pre-season friendlies and was back at training and i felt that something wasn't right in my leg but because i'd never broke my leg before i just assumed if the hospital said it's fine so it must just be like i've still got this i've got this lump obviously where the new bones formed over the old bone i've got like a lump on my shin it would throb after any form of activity, especially with football. You could almost see it pulsing. And it was like, maybe that's just because I've got quite skinny shins anyway. It's obviously like there's not a lot of meat there. And where that new bone's from, maybe it's just stretching and it's uncomfortable. And maybe it will go. And I saw like a physio who I used to see from my back. And we were using like this, that scraper thing to try mm-hmm. and get rid of a lot of uh, like the scar tissue and stuff. And it was working. And I was thinking, like, oh, it was, I don't think it's as bad. So it must just be fine. So... First game of the season, get through the first half fine. At halftime, Becky turns up. She'd never seen me play football before, so she wanted to see me play. Five minutes in, they've got a free kick on the halfway line. They put it into like penalty spot. It was like a, quite a boggy pitch. So I've called for it, planted my right foot. So I put my foot in the ground, and obviously it got stuck in mud. As I've gone to try and pull my foot out of the ground, you've just heard... Again. It, it broke again. The exact same place, like the tib and fib completely broke so literally back to square one so i was under chesterfield royal hospital for the for the first break and obviously where i was playing football i was back in sheffield for the royal infirmary so i was in recess and they'd done an x-ray a doctor comes over it's like why the fuck were you playing football i was like what do you mean he's like well you broke your leg but your leg was already broken like, this isn't a new break. You've literally just... So you were told that it wasn't broken? Yeah. It was, never, it, was. it was never healed. So I was like, I've been going to the gym every day for the last six weeks. I've been playing football, like low intensity pre-season stuff and friendlies and training and making sure that like, I walk around the supermarket and I was walking on, I used to walk like a weirdo. I was like walking on like my tiptoes or then on my heel just to try and change the angle that I was walking at to put like different pressure through. He's like, yeah, that could have broke from you just walking around your apartment. It's like it was like a ticking time bomb. I was like, great. So we're literally back to square one again. So it was the back in the cast, and obviously this time during lockdown, the first one. How nice was the weather? Every, mm. Everyone had their own holiday, which kind of softened the blow of what was going on. So we're now into September. It's getting dark. Weather was crap, and so was my mood. I was Mister Positive, trying to be Mister Motivator during it all. The first one was fine in, re- in hindsight. Second one was obviously it was bad, but I kept this positive outlook and I had the routines. The yeah, th- the third one. Poor. Third one was like I, I was using Instagram. I think like most people do as a mask. I was having the the laugh and the joke with people on Instagram, and I used to do loads of like Q and A things. And I think I coined the phrase that I must have been a, I must have been a <laughs> in a previous life. That that some someone. Someone up there, and I wouldn't wish any of this on anyone, but it was like, you give me a fucking break, pardon the mm. pun. 
once is bad enough, twice is bad, three times. Like, I can't deal with this. I mm. genuinely couldn't deal with it. It was just this, I was sorting out work again, and then, bang, it was gone again. And I was in a, I was in, I was in the cast until the new year. How much trepidation did you have before you did any serious exercise after the third well, one, knowing well, what you had been told and how it yeah. was actually not true? When I came out of that cast, I did no exercise until May. So I literally gave it five months. And obviously, in that time, where my body is so used to working out, like I swear I, my upper body got bigger during lockdown. I was doing like, not just food though. <laughs> well, anyway, I was I was having like I was having like one meal a day during lockdown. <coughs> I got like proper, proper like upper body wise, like my legs just disappeared. I had like flamingo legs, so I was completely out of proportion. But upper body, like I was I was still in decent shape. But it was like the, I stopped doing everything. Like, I just lost all that motivation that I have and that structure and routine just went out the window. And like I looked, I was like, people was like, mate, you still look good. I was like, yeah, but not how I looked. Mm. I have so, such high expectations of myself. Like I'm my own worst critic. Like I think like most people are. And it's like when I'm used to my body looking like X and I'm used to working out that many times and for that intensity, for me not to do anything for that amount of time, it was just there. Uh, it was awful. But it was like this I know I needed it to like recoup and I ended up in that time I had a bone density scan and thank God it came back that I actually had <laughs> ironically, I had healthier bones than someone my age. Oh wow. Yeah. So Is that what you were expecting? No the waiting time was because it was still like locked down and everything was delayed. Like we waited months for the results and it was like, you end up thinking like, oh, they're taking ages. They must've found something. Mm. Like, so the cause actually was just very, very bad luck and some poor medical yeah, advice. exactly that. Instead of, oh my God, this is because I've got low bone density. I won't be able to play football yep. and risk it again, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, exactly yeah. that. So it was like a, and again, like once I did like shift that mindset and I came back out the other side and I got back into getting myself physically better. I think mentally it coincided with me feeling like mentally better. And that was a big weight off my mind that I could still do the things that I wanted to do. And it wasn't that it was something from my past that was holding me back. I think that was kind of like a, almost like a euphoric moment without blowing it out of proportion. It was just like a, luckily through all the leg breaks, I didn't have to have any operations. The recovery time would have probably doubled had I had any operation. So again, trying to take the positives out of it. I never had to do that. So that was lucky. And see the fact I never spent a lot of time in hospital. You never know. I could have got COVID while I was in mm. there and that had been like another situation to deal with or, or whatever. So got back in the, in the routine and I obviously got back into, into work. And then I moved to 20 November time. My apartment again, obviously I renewed it for another year. So it came up for its renewal and I decided to, to move in with Becky. We've got a house, a house in, in Huddersfield. So I moved there and obviously it was like going to Huddersfield, like Sheffield people knew who I was and they knew my story and I had all my clients there and like I still have clients there, but obviously starting afresh in Huddersfield, it was like a, no one knows me, pastures new. Everyone's friendly as well, so you won't, uh, you won't take long to know, well, get to know people. It, it was, but it, I found it, I, I found it, I found it difficult. I did find it difficult. I ended up working in a gym for the first time, like a commercial gym as your normal PT. I was kind of, was put on like a graveyard shift. It was the only slot they had and... It was like close close proximity to where I lived, but I worked, it was like Tuesday, Thursday, Friday. It was like four in the afternoon till 10 at night. So it was... I mean, like, ironically, it's the busiest time when people go to the gym because yeah. it's after work, but yeah. not for a PT. You want to no. be training people. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it's yeah. very much like people are in there for their own stuff and they're yeah. not willing to talk to you. And yeah, I found it difficult to forge proper relationship. And obviously in the back of, I was still, I was thinking of, in my own business, how can I... 
how can I get my own piece of the pie? And it was almost like, by this time, I was I was far more open about my mental health stuff. And post-lockdown, a lot of my friends were honest with me about how they felt and the, the social anxiety of going back into work. and mm. Woke a lot of people up, I think, yeah. to other people who have had mental health issues. Because yeah. everyone went through mental health difficulties yeah. during COVID. I, th- yeah. I think that's what it is. Like I think that's the biggest, the root of it. If people were struggling before, they would have the pub as their outlet, yeah. the club as their outlet. Again, not that it's... Or just outside, out of mind. Like, yeah. someone else is struggling, but, okay, well, yeah. you know, yeah, outside, and also, out and of mind. Like, people could drink or people could take recreational drugs or whatever. It's not positive, but people do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas, obviously, during lockdown, they were forced to sit yeah. with their feelings yeah. and try and deal with it. Mm. And, obviously, a mm. lot of people didn't. It was like a sink or swim analogy. So, I had a lot of people open up to me about their life, and I've had friends that were... One in particular was saying about how he actually drove to a, a well-known spot that is for suicides. And on like three or four occasions, he went there when he was like teetering on the edge of doing stuff. And it was like, so I was speaking to him about like his job and his family and his, his kid and trying to not like pull yourself together, mate. But it's almost like if you don't feel that you have a purpose, have the purpose for you, so your family. for men. Yeah. Purpose. I think especially for young boys, men as well, but I think for boys, I try and talk about you know young boys between anywhere between 7 to 16 21 they need purpose yeah they need an identity and they need belonging yeah they have all three of them they're set if they have yep. one of them they can get by if they have none of them they're in real, real big yeah, trouble 100% because obviously that's when they end up getting into they'll into, find it somewhere else yeah, yeah. exactly that yeah. and yeah that's when they can be coerced into gangs all yeah. sorts of stuff 100% yeah, yeah. so yeah I think speaking with them and it was kind of like this brainwave as in like i've been a pc since 2019 obviously i've been on instagram mm. for about that time this is how the idea of the crystallization yeah. of the mental health yeah. PT came so from. it's like yeah. i googled it and i googled it and i googled it and there are a lot more obviously women are far more open to their feelings they're far more open to talking with their girlfriends about how they're feeling like mentally mm-hmm. and there was a number of obviously there's a lot of eating disorders and disordered eating in the bodybuilding world with yes the, with of course the, yeah so it seems like there's a lot of women that have tapped into that and there's a lot of eating disorder fitness coaches that mm. are women and obviously they're talking about the heavy dieting and then like this like the obsession the, with the exercise big, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and obviously like when they diet down to this and then it's the rebellion against it and they go into this binge cycle and then they put on loads of weight and then they look at their pictures when they were mm. on stage and it's like were you ever scared of that given what you had been through that you would go back into a you would find a new outlet for the eating disorder in exercise and over exercise um in reality I, I think that i have an obsession with fitness mm-hmm. i have to you have to have a healthy obsession yeah with your PT, like, though, yeah, like yeah. I, I have to, I, I have to do like my 10k steps a day that's a non-negotiable i have lessened the intensity in the gym i think it's just the fact i'm busier i've learned and i've i've gone on the journey of like self-actualization and it's like this feeling of like i i say now that my mental health problem is my superpower because mm-hmm. i still have not found a guy on I keep saying Instagram because that's where I've checked most that is in the fitness industry that will happily talk about his eating disorder. And obviously that's how James Mental Health PT was born. So obviously I launched that last July. Mm-hmm. So we're coming up for like a year. It is a slow burner because when people look at a PT and like whether they look at their physique or or they look at what they post in their content and like they're funny. It's like 150 quid a month. Sort of humble bragging yeah. a lot of it, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll take a punt on that. Like I'll train mm. and plan for 150 quid or whatever. Mental health side of it, people are reaching out to me now. It's like, I've been following you for a year. I've been following you for six months. There is such a different market that people need to gain your trust. Mm. They need Especially to, for men as well, yeah. mate. Yeah, yeah. And they almost have to watch you for so long to be like... Keep the consistency. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, Is this person with what he's posting, yeah... 
is he real is he authentic like is what he's saying does he trust the process does he believe in what he's doing and it's like I th- obviously like i know one of the, my biggest things is about is obviously having that honesty and integrity going forward especially after everything i've been through i have that and i think i've kind of i'm at this point now where i've got so many things bubbling up that ultimately i need to make this work in a monetary sense i'm not there yet i'm still relying on more of my pt clients mm-hmm. that fund what i'm doing but i think i feel like i'm at this i'm at the cusp of it it's gained traction and i've done again this self-reflection time that i have like look where i was a year ago when i started out and i was just this i won't, I won't disrespect it but i was just a, like james pt the online pt or the, the the in-house pt like where i am now what i've done in 11 months although it hasn't bought in additional money like the foundation that i've laid is actually Yet. really good yeah, yeah. i've done work with the nhs i've done work with universities i've now started talking at schools mm-hmm. beginning of june i'm going to be filming my eight week online course that i'm going to be pushing which is solely about looking at seven aspects of your of your life that make you aware of what mental health means to you the factors influencing it your mindset your nutrition your exercise the relationship you have with your social circle and the relationship you have with yourself you're not going to be fixed in eight weeks i'll get that out straight away but it's like if i can educate and empower people to to have this overview of what is mental health where it's not just one thing it's a it's a multitude of things that need to be looked at worked on and then developed into a a habit and routine so as much as the initial setting out on thing is really hard and you you have to consciously think about things it's like if you can develop and improve areas of your life across these like seven aspects it then becomes you'll develop as a person you'll feel better you'll have better relationships with other people and better relationships and healthier relationships with yourself and through exercise and various forms of like self-development that it becomes like me this eight-week program these seven pillars that i swear by are things that i've sat down over the last eight years and i've put everything on paper and it's like yeah that's them this is what i do every day and i don't even know it's like subconscious mm. now it's just it, i've become so routine to doing it it's almost like i want to i know i'm not going to be able to fix people but it's like if i can reduce the amount of time that they have to sit with their problems i've done my job like mm. I had it for 10 years. So it's like, if I can work with someone, make them aware of these areas that if they can try and implement certain strategies and coping mechanisms across all these areas and it reduces their time that they have to sit with the problem and they can't find a way out of it. If they did it on their own and it took them 10 years to get over it, if they could work with me for a certain period of time and within a year, they're at a level where they can deal with life on their own and they've got all these tools to deal with life. I've saved them nine years. Mm. Like You can't put a price on that sort mm. of time. Before we reflect on your fitness journey, mate, I've got one more question, which is when you talk to the lads, especially in these schools, and I see this in my gym, I didn't go to the gym until I was 21. And I'm mm-hmm. sort of glad, actually, I, I didn't because, yes, it would have been a good part of my routine during university, but I think I just enjoyed not having that in university, not having to care about that. Whereas now, obviously, it's been a massive part of my life and it's been you know a huge self-improvement and all those other things I could probably go into. But I'm seeing younger and younger kids coming into the gym, 13-year-old, 14-year-old. Yeah. And there's a part of me that goes yeah, great, you're coming into the gym and you're working hard. Some of them don't behave themselves pretty well. You know, they take too long on certain machines. Yeah, yeah. Sort of causing a bit of tension with the older boys as well. Mm-hmm. But there's also a part of me that goes, should you even be here? Yeah. Like 14-year-old kids. Okay, they should be going out, playing football all the time, playing sports and just getting that social interaction and the exercise through that rather yeah. than being in a bodybuilding gym. I've had this chat with my mates who we always talk about various topics and that 
that was something we've we've spoke about in the past. I think like I thought that there was that there's usually an age limit. It's like sixteen is usually the mm. is that. But obviously, whether gyms don't probably need to make some cash as yeah, well. Yeah, exactly that. So again, it depends on your view of looking at it because if you look at as like society as a whole, is there really like when I'm going to sound old now, but when we were kids, there wasn't more youth the, clubs, isn't it? More places yeah, for kids to go. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. even like being out with my brother, we spent like some holidays just out in the field playing football. And like at a park playing on the playground and stuff. There's not a lot of playgrounds anymore. There isn't a lot of places for people to go. Like youth clubs, it's all cost. And like if they can't... If, They're if, gone. If, yeah, Especially if, if, it's not, yeah, if it's not self-sufficient, it's not down, flat yeah. to built. And like they try and give kids like things to do, but they, I don't think it's engaging enough for kids. So kids obviously end up finding their own things to do, which mm. end, up, end up lead to like the vandalism and, mm. and criminality. So I think it's like obviously boxing, there's been a big yes. uprise in boxing because of the routine. The routine and the structure, and that I'd rather them go to there yeah. than come into my gym yeah, and like, I, I, like I, I, again, not behave themselves. Probably. I think it's kind of like one of these things. Like I get it from both points of view. Like, yeah, same, there, there's, same. There's same. very much like a there is a, a positive element to it in terms of like it's teaching you discipline, it's teaching you like self confidence and motivation, mm. and it's obviously helping you gain a skill. You you learn a lot about yourself, and that inherently turns to them. You become aware of other people, and it's more of a healthier it could be like a social thing as well so instead of being on a street corner you're in the gym with your mates which again but then there's obviously there's the, the well, if, they, if you and in, and in my gym they come in like packs of six yeah i work in one gym and i train another and the, the one that I, I train at is very close to a university so you get 10 17 18 year olds turn up and it's just like you've got to take a ticket to go on the machine like yeah so how many sets you got left like four with 10 of you yeah like, all right so yeah, it, it just pisses people off. Yeah, 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 yeah. it is. But then it's like, I guess it's like, but like you put yourself in their position. Is there anywhere for them to go? It's, it's like a double self awareness, isn't it? They need they need to learn that self awareness. Yeah, because, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's it's difficult. Like there's obviously like the pros to it in terms of like what they're teaching themselves. Well, probably without even knowing it, you go on that journey of like self development yeah. and going when it's hard, going when you don't want to go, yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, which we all we all did. Yeah, yeah. yeah and yeah. I think like if, if they if they can learn that at an earlier age than what we did, then I guess that could potentially like set them up better in in life. And obviously, if they have that early on, and then they could use that same routine and path for a career or through education so it, it could snowball into something positive but like you said there, there is that thing is like kids should be kids yes they, you should have that being out with your mates being out in the in the fresh air but then yeah, misbehaving somewhere else not, yeah not when i'm yeah. trying to do my sets but then obviously <laughs> yeah. then, then then you read the stories in the press about obviously like the, the amount of weirdos that there are out what would you prefer you would you want your kid to be out on the street or would you want them to be in a gym or in a boxing like so, some sort of activity I was like i know what i would choose like whether it's ultimately good for their health at that sort of age to be gaining muscle at a younger age but I, yeah it's, it's a difficult one yeah, yeah. it is very difficult yeah. i think obviously like i understand both sides i, I, I get mm. that and as a final question mate before we move on what has this fitness journey taught you about yourself oh god um i can probably sum it up in three three parts self-awareness self-reflection i think to be able to when you start on your fitness journey you can't lift anything you're weak and you you look at other people and there's always like that one guy in the gym that's jacked and, and he's, he's like... They always seem far bigger to you, don't yeah. they? Yeah. yeah because and it's of like, where you are in your, in your mind. Yeah. And it's and like your you, body. you try to emulate them. And I think it's probably, it's an internal like battle or drive or that motivation to try and aspire to be like that person. Sure. Obviously. And then to be able to go on that journey and then you improve in a variety of ways, like physically, you gain muscle, you gain a bit of self-confidence. Most of the reason why guys go to the gym, in my eyes, especially if it's a young age, is to, is to look good naked. 
is to help all good their, girls if they're yeah, straight. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's obviously yeah to to make themselves look better with the clothes off. I get that. We all go through that stage in life, and I think, but it's like the more you keep at it, and it becomes like a, a discipline, and you learn it's more for yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like yeah, like I said, it's like it's kind of like the stages that you go through. It's like there's the ego stage, then there's like the journey stage whereby you're learning. It's not just about the weight; it's about mm. the routine, and like you said, like that mental barriers not for much myself but you've been on a night out you've been on a bender the night before and you still own it and you still get up and you do it and it's like you've or make you stop doing going on benders as well well yeah (laughs) Yeah, yeah. exactly like yeah it makes you it can make make you there's been loads of my clients have done that which they're really good throughout the week they're like on it and they hit every marker and on the weekend they just have a blowout but it's like and then the week comes back round. it's like because they've eaten and drunk so much crap over the weekend they're catching they've, up yeah, 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 they've, yeah they've got to, they've got to eat like a pauper throughout the week to mm. gain back yeah to stay within the parameters i think yeah it's like it's that self-realization is all that education if i eat like that i'm gonna have a crap week so like if i don't have this or i i'll stick to like five drinks max so then i know that i've still got that freedom in the week to maybe have a have a takeaway and you're not ruining your week straight away so i think like self-awareness and self-reflection so to be on that journey in the gym and then at some point you will look back and be like, I may not be where I want to be and I've still got a long way to go, but from where I started to where I am now, that's brilliant, like well done me. And I think that that then links into the self-love. You kind of phrase like, you can't be with someone. Someone can't love you until you, you love can't yourself. love yourself. Yeah. yeah, It's not just the gym that does that, but it's the gym and the fitness regime that did it for me. It sent me on that journey and I learned an absolute crap ton about myself and about other people. And I was like, I, I learned, genuinely learned to love myself and some people may, with how I projected myself on Instagram, I know there was a time when I was an arrogant little twat. But then, like, I could look at myself in the mirror or someone can say, like, are you proud of what you've done? Are you proud of who you are? Yeah, I am. It's been a, a massive journey. There's loads of motivational quotes. Like, people only see you at the top of the mountain. They haven't seen mm. the climb. They haven't seen the struggle. They haven't seen the setbacks. And it's like, so now I am, I'm not at the peak. I'd love to be. Are you ever at the peak? I guess that's another question. Because like, I'm constantly trying to, like, progress my life and level up in in all elements but to be able to say that you're proud of what you've done and that you love yourself i think that's a very important thing and then the third one would be like that resilience and mental strength the gym has given me that and i think yeah the get up and go and like i don't say this on my school talks but it's like i say it for adults life is always going to fuck you up the ass there's never going to be a point where you like it's not linear you're always going to have job loss random thing like lockdown potential you never know it's happened once relationship breakdown bereavement and even like other things like a like an injury or like a car crash something that happens completely out of the blue that rocks you to your absolute core and it takes away your comfort your coping mechanisms see the injuries stop me going to the gym and but it's like when you've been on the journey and you've come back from the brink if you've done it once you can do it again and i think to have that in your locker that i am I'm, i've definitely like mellowed I think I'm so content with life at the minute. I don't get, football's a different thing. I still get really competitive and angry with that. That's kind of like my way of... That's your release valve. But yeah, yeah exactly yeah. that is how, how I vent. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So yeah, I think But in, in all other aspects of life, I think like just if shit's going to happen, just deal with it. And I know that sounds very flippant, but it's obviously what I've learned and what I, would, what I try to instill with the mental health side of things and what I do with, with clients. It's like, you can't affect things that are out of your control. So how people treat you, can't control that. You can't control what happens to you externally. So whether it, if, if your job then, if you get made redundant, if it's not to do with your own performance and it's to do with cutbacks in, in that company, it ain't you. So it's like, how do you deal with it? You've got to get another job. But it's like, it's a factor that you have no control over. 
only worry about the shit that you've got control over and it's obviously like that mental strength and resilience is another like those are the three key things i think i've learned on my fitness journey thank you for listening to part one of james roffey's podcast if you'd like to listen to part two you can do so straight away as i released both episodes at the same time this week in the meantime, please give either of these episodes a share on social media if you enjoyed them. You can give them a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, or you can support us at www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk, or head to our link tree at linktr.ee slash venthelpuk to make a one-off donation, or buy some merch, or buy a ticket for the Just Checking In podcast live show. We hope to check in with you again very soon, and remember guys, it is always okay to vent. Okay.